Internet, we are on a slight tape delay here with some bizarro internet issues. So the show is a little late today, but I'm still Dave Rubin. This is the Rubin Report, and it's time for another Friday roundtable extravaganza. Joining me today is a senior fellow at the Claremont Institute, Dave Verboy, political commentator John Cardillo, and a New York Post and Fox News columnist Carol Markowitz, all proud Floridians. Dave, John, Carol, welcome back to the Rubin Report. Hey, Dave. Dave. Hey, hey. So uh, guys, uh, we were all together earlier this week at the, uh, the infamous uh, Florida gubernatorial debate where Ron DeSantis, who as I always say, cards on the table, we like the guy, uh, was up against this Charlie Crist character who's not really a, he doesn't strike me as a real person, he's just a, uh, he's just a suit with kind of nothing in it. Uh, and it was, I would say, indicative of what happened in all of the debates over this week. There was obviously the Michigan debate. Uh, there was the Pennsylvania debate. There were a couple other debates. And, and none of them, the New York debate, and none of them really went well for the Democrats. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And, uh, and then I'm going to have you guys make some predictions at the end, because there's nothing that people in our jobs like more than given predictions. Uh, real quick though, let me talk to you guys about real estate agents I trust. Uh, you guys know that buying or selling a home is already one of the most stressful things you can do, and it can be 10 times worse if you're not working with the right agent. Usually our homes are our biggest investment, which is a ton of responsibility, and you need an agent who takes that seriously, which is why I recommend real estate agents I trust. They work with only the best agents in every market. They do their homework talking to every agent before inviting them to join their network, and here's a big one. They only work with full-time pros, no part-time or inexperienced agents. Their team makes the introduction and then follows you through the buying or selling process to make sure that you're satisfied. The agents they work with have long track records and they're the best sellers in their field. And even under these intense Biden-related economic conditions with high interest rates and high inflation, real estate agents I trust has provided their customers with agents who've overcome these challenges in the past. They're part of this audience. They share your values and they're almost anywhere you want to go. Just go on over to realestateagentsitrust.com. Give them some basic info. They'll contact you to make an introduction to an agent in your town. You move to Florida and you live happily ever after. And speaking of Florida, uh, let's back up for a moment. Uh, we'll reverse this to Monday, which was the big gubernatorial debate. And uh, there was a stark difference between the candidates. Here's Governor DeSantis on uh, some of the woke stuff in schools and what's going on with all this gender nonsense. Across the country and here in Florida, lawmakers are divided on the issue of gender transitions for minors. The Florida Department of Health has held firm that there are risks associated with certain puberty blocking and hormone therapies for children, despite pushback from the federal government and other states. Where do you stand on minors undergoing so-called gender-affirming medical procedures and therapies? Governor? Well, so-called is important because when they say gender-affirming care, they mean giving puberty blockers to teenage girls and teenage boys. They mean doing double mastectomies on young girls. They mean chemically castrating young boys. That is wrong. We are not going to allow that to happen in the state of Florida. Uh, a lot of kids go through a lot of different things. Uh, a lot of the dysphoria resolves itself by the time they become adults. And we have a number of people that have spoken out in favor of what we're doing 
doing to say you should not mutilate minors. And they went through this when they were minors. Now they're adults and they regret it. And other countries in Europe that went down this road have now backtracked. And so we're doing the right thing. It's inappropriate to be doing basically what's genital mutilation. Okay, so I'm actually not even going to show any clips of Charlie Chris because I don't think he's relevant. Obviously, the uh, election is going to be a big Republican win here, and nothing he says, he doesn't even believe what he says. So I I don't think there's any point in giving him airtime. But Carol, I want to start with you on this one because every time that either publicly or privately we talk about this trans thing, you always say, you always say, I'm a squish when it comes to these issues. Right. Uh, but but DeSantis pretty much nailed it there, yeah. right? Like basically said, hey, right. kids are kids and yeah. we should let them be kids. Full agreement with Governor DeSantis. Every word that he said there. What I always say that I'm a squish about is that I don't care what adults do. And yeah. so, you know, look, trans people have been around for a long time. You know, it's not a new thing. Why is it so hot a topic in our world now? Is because they came for the kids. They started indoctrinating the kids into this wacky gender ideology. If a child was like, I feel like a girl, they're like, a girl, and that's it. And, I, you know, I, I, I say this a lot, but my son, thought he was Batman for a good year. And and I'm not joking about this. He like would cry when people would not refer to him as Batman. And like, yeah, we kind of let it go on. But like, if he started like, you know, actually thinking he was Batman into adulthood, we would have taken steps to stop that. Um, So I think that a lot of this kind of conversation, you know, the, the separation between kids and adults and what kids do and what adults do is important to me here. And I wouldn't care about the trans issue at all if it wasn't directly affecting my small children in their schools. And I just want to say one last thing about this yeah. is that you didn't play the Chris answer, but he did not answer that question at all. He went into a whole thing about abortion. I was looking forward to hearing how he was going to kind of massage it because, look, nobody wants gender ideology pushed to their children in school. And the fact that he couldn't give any answer whatsoever about it was really telling. Yeah, well, that's sort of why I'm not playing clips of him, because I don't think he believes anything he's saying. I think he's just like a fabrication of something, which, as you guys know, since we were all at the debate, the the DeSantis folks, you know, it was basically half and half the audience. The DeSantis people were individual people. By the way, everyone kind of dressed right and seemed like they were out for the evening. The the Christ people were all bust in. We think they were from a teacher's union. They all had the same shirts on. They, They didn't seem like they were representing themselves. They were just representing these ideas the trans stuff and the eight-month abortions and the rest of it. Uh, Dave, I'll go to you next because you're a little more hardcore on this than Carol, I think. Yeah, I mean, I I think what what Carol said was all fine and good. The problem is is that the whole plan was to come after the kids. There's There's no magical spot that we can identify on the, let's say, the the sexual rights continuum where we say, okay, this is perfect, we're gonna stay here forever. Um, that's a serious problem that we have. I mean, it's part of, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's part of human nature, um, never mind, um, you know, sort of the, uh, the, the, the plan of the left to use this stuff to, uh, to, to um, you know, to kind of undermine the West, undermine capitalism, undermine freedom, et cetera. So, I mean, it was always coming for the kids um, no matter what, you know, I mean, as, as, as Carol said, yes, there have always been people with, let's say, ambiguous gender, 
conceptions or, and unique gender conceptions. Mm -hmm. um, that that's 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 fine as long as they are on the margins. And frankly, they always used to understand themselves as being on the margins. Um, it was a, a recent revolution where they said, "No, actually, um, I am what I say I am, and biological reality be damned. And if you say anything, not only are you a bad person, but it's." You know they're trying to make it illegal, so so this was where um, you know I mean it's it's a very difficult uh, thing to figure out where exactly on the map to plot where the 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 left turn went that was that would have been completely unavoidable. John, I suspect you're pretty happy with the way DeSantis handles all this stuff. It's just clean and clear, and and he takes you're you're a big fan of taking the fight to them, not just waiting on all this stuff. Yeah, look, you know, I'm very public about weaponization. I think what we on the right do very poorly is weaponize our institutions. I think this group, we're pretty effective at weaponizing our voices and our media reach, but more people should follow the lead. But, you know, look, DeSantis handled that perfectly. He said, in Florida, we're going to let kids be kids. We're not going to let far left radical social activist parents butcher, mutilate their children. And look, Charlie Crist couldn't answer that question because Charlie Crist is whatever it takes for Charlie Crist to have attention at the moment, Republican, independent, Democrat. Once he gets crushed on election day, I'm at like 53, 54%. He's gonna show up somewhere and drag a few months later. <laughs> Charlene Crist, you know, and then his like third or fourth sham marriage goes away. But Crist is just an absolutely horrible, horrible, disingenuous guy running for the trial bar, right? DeSantis made a good point uh, at the debate that, you know, these, these insurance companies are, uh, are paying a claimant post-hurricane, $28,000, $30,000, but the insurance companies are making $400,000. The lawyers, rather, the lawyers are making four hundred dollars mm -hmm. case. That's because of the trial bar. Charlie Crist's Democrats are the sugar daddies of the trial bar. Charlie Crist's own sugar daddy, John Morgan, Morgan and Morgan, for the people. These people fundamentally hate liberties. This is a cash machine for them. Charlie Crist is running to see the state of Florida as an ATM for him, like he did before, so he can go back in a private practice and make millions after this failed governorship, uh, this failed run for the governorship. If he wins, God help us, he won't. But this is all about money for Charlie Crist. Charlie Crist is all about Charlie Crist. I thought Ron DeSantis was substantive. He's got a track record of success. He did no harm at the debate. There was no need for a, a gotcha moment or a kill shot. And I think we're gonna be really pleasantly surprised on election night. Yeah, and it's interesting because we all, I think, had the same reaction after, which was slight disgust of the debate. It wasn't that, yeah. um, it wasn't somehow that Chris won or it was even close. It was just that because he will say anything and doesn't believe in anything, there was an asymmetry of it compared to a guy who's actually telling you what he believes and what he's doing. That was just a little bit bizarre. I wanna show you guys one other clip because uh, DeSantis went hard when it came to defending keeping Florida free. And I would also say this, you mentioned, Liz, that people are flocking to Florida. That would not have happened if Charlie Crist had his way. He wrote me a letter in July of 2020 saying you need to shut down the state of Florida. He said you need to force people to shelter in their own homes. That would have destroyed the state of Florida. That would have caused, that would have caused our tourism industry to go into the toilet. It would have locked out millions of kids from school. I rejected Charlie Crist's lockdown letter. I kept this state open and I kept this state free. 
and we now have the biggest budget surplus in the history of Florida. Uh, we have a 2.5% unemployment, Governor, second lowest time. on record, and we just did the biggest tax cut in Florida Thank history. Thank you, Governor. That's time. Dave, are you amazed that, you know, we were told before the thing started, you know, both sides be quiet, which the DeSantis side did. Okay, the Chris side did not. So then the DeSantis side to start, you know, started getting involved too. But are you amazed that there were people who were actually cheering for more lockdowns? I mean, people even here in Florida seem to want more of the nonsense. It's, uh, look, it's crazy. I, I, I am not sympathetic to Charlie Crist in any way. That said, he did have an impossible task ahead of him because, I mean, he opened up the debate blasting DeSantis and saying, you're the only one, uh, governor in the history yeah. of Florida who's locked schools down. Well, this is a real disconnect with his audience and his supporters, especially the crazy people probably mm -hmm. from the teachers unions in, his, in, his, um, uh, in the audience, in the crowd, because all of these people love the lockdowns. You know, they, they, they loved it. So he, he really kind of had an impossible task ahead of him because um, you've got all these contradictory, um, all these contradictory ideas. You know, they, they want to attack DeSantis for, um, for being too heavy handed on one hand, but on the other hand, they supported every heavy handed thing and more. So it's a difficult place to be. And, and uh, look, I can understand an, an I guess, theoretically, an anti-DeSantis, anti-freedom position. I can kind of understand that. Um, I don't think it's right, but it's it makes a certain amount of sense. What I don't understand is the theory of Charlie Crist's candidacy. You know, I, I can understand someone who's anti-DeSantis, but pro-Charlie Crist, I just don't get it because the guy is, you know, I mean, the, the guy's an empty suit. As, as John said, he will say whatever it takes. Um, just a shell of a human. Right, and again, that's why I'm not bothering showing clips. And we know that obviously, we know the results of this election here, thank God. We know them already. It's, it's okay to say that, like it's going to be fine. Um, Carol, I feel like I should just give you an open-ended question uh, or you know, basically tee it up to you. You moved down here right around when I moved down here. You've got kids, they're free, they're happy now. It's, it's yeah. been all good, huh? It's so good. Um, yeah, you know, it was so funny when Chris went after DeSantis for closing schools because literally he's the reason that schools are open, not just in Florida, but I would say across the country. Mm -hmm. You know, the point that I keep coming back to is if there was no Ron DeSantis, I mean, look, other states also opened, but Ron DeSantis kind of took the lead on it. And if there was no Ron DeSantis, other states would remain closed maybe till now. We have no idea what would have happened. Um, when DeSantis opened schools in September of 2020, that was daring and amazing and, and really something. But then he also opened schools the following year, and they tried to stop him then, too. I always talk about this, that the teachers unions, the left, they wanted schools closed, the media, they wanted schools closed fall 2021. So the fact that he pushed back on it, said, I'm opening schools again, um, is a miracle, really. And he did an amazing, amazing job. I couldn't be happier to live here. I feel so just comforted by him being the governor because I know nothing crazy is going to happen. He's not going to pass some weird law about, you know, letting criminals out or, you know, masking in schools. I just, it's a comfort that I never had living in a blue state that I have now. Right. And it's bizarrely something that should just be obvious that yeah. everyone should want. And yet here we are. 
John, this will give us a good segue into the next segment when we get to New York, but uh, you, I feel like you're, you're a pretty solid insider. What, what do you think the Florida Republicans can do to export some of these ideas to maybe the states that are about to get a, a red wave? Because the machinery here seems like it's operating pretty well. That's no, a great question. I just want to address uh, one thing before we go. I'm going to play devil's advocate here and say I am all for the Charlie Chris side of that room being locked down. Did you see what those creatures? <laughs> if I never have to be in the presence of one of those filthy hippies again, I volunteer to lock them in from the outside, buy them as many masks as they, they want. They didn't look very good. I was trying they to be nice. Dave, you raise a great point. So let me let me walk away from crime for a moment and look at what Florida is doing, led by Ron DeSantis and our state CFO, our state chief financial officer, Jimmy Petronas. If you're a bank that debanks a legitimate business because it has a conservative bent, firearms, private corrections, outdooring gear, you can no longer do business with the state of Florida in a state or municipal capacity. You're gonna lose billions of dollars in business. You might lose tens of billions in pension fund investments. Those are the kinds of policies that are very tangible, that are very effective, that weaponize mm -hmm. the effectively and legally that Florida Republicans should be exporting to other states. Let's hit these massive institutions that are totally woke with ESG and DEI. Let's hit them in the billion dollar wallet. And I think that one policy, if I were uh, if, if I were asked the question by the governor, I haven't been or, or, or uh, CFO Patronus, I'd say let's get behind that debanking policy and force it on every state treasurer, CFO or AG, whoever the respective uh, authority is for the banks in that state, and make sure we start holding the financial institutions to task. Yeah, we've covered it a little bit here, but the debanking thing and, you know, PayPal putting penalties on people for misinformation. Right. I mean, that really is the next frontier of all this. Uh, but let's shift to some of the other states because New York, there is something crazy happening in New York, the place that I was born, that Carol fled from. Dave, you lived in New York. Oh, well, John, of course you lived in New York. Dave, you lived in New York at some point, right? Okay, we've all lived, we've all lived in New York. It was once a great state. It has become an absolute disaster. New York City is a freaking nightmare under Eric Adams, which is just an extension of de Blasio. Hochul took over, nobody's ever voted for her. She loves lockdowns, she would do it all again. Here is Lee Zeldin, who just sort of appeared out of nowhere in the last two months, and he's leading in some of the polls right now. My opponent still can't finish the sentence. You can't expect her to ever fix it. But New York leads the entire nation in population loss because she actually got asked this question by the media a few weeks ago when she was at Binghamton Airport. She probably would love to have a redo because she messed it up that time. For me, you ask me, why does New York lead the entire nation in population loss? Because their wallets, their safety, their freedom, and their quality of their kids' education are under attack. So they're hitting their breaking point. They're looking at other states like the Carolinas, Tennessee, Texas, Florida, and elsewhere, and they feel like their money will go further, they'll feel safer, and they'll live life freer. The state is at a crossroads. We were at a crossroads in 1994 when New York elected George Pataki, and we're at a crossroads right now. I've but as far as what happens with Kathy Hochul and one-party rule for four more years, outsized power of self-described socialists, we need balance and common sense restored to Albany. Carol, I was super impressed by him. I watched yeah. a replay of the entire debate. It wasn't just that, you know, it's easy to hit Hochul because she's been so bad. It's like he's passionate, he's honest. He also strikes me as a decent guy who would pick up your, pick your friends up after school and take you to Burger King or something. Like, yeah. I think this is just what New York needs. 
I agree. He's really great. Um, even, you know, his primary opponents like Rob Astorino have been su openly supporting him and really pushing him. I think that's really a, a tell that that they're kind of motivated to defeat Hochul and, you know, let bygones be bygones. Um, yeah, I think he's terrific. And I would love to see New York do the same thing. I know that a lot of people have one foot out the door waiting to see what's going to happen with this, because if it is Hochul again, um, if she gets, you know, reelected and she can say, look, they wanted me. They wanted my policies. They wanted my ideas. Who knows what she's going to do? Yeah. And, you know, winter is coming. COVID rates are going to spike again because that's what COVID rates do in the winter in New York. And she could put the kids back in masks. She's already suggested it. Uh, she could easily lock down schools. She could do any number of things that I think people should be prepared for. Uh, this is a really important election for New York. This is a really make or break election for New York. And they should look at it like that. Just to echo what Zeldin said there, uh, they're giving me some numbers right now. So the population in New York in 2021 was about 19.8 million, which was a 1.58% decline from the year before. I mean, that's fairly significant. Uh, John, that shouldn't surprise anybody, right? Because Hochul even said, we, if you don't share our values, get going to Florida. Well, look at the four of us. Yeah, yeah, look, I mean, they lost a congressional seat, Florida gained one. But but I think, uh, Lee, is, I know Lee, and Lee is, is the guy you just described, real likable guy, very competent, very well-versed in the issues. Crime is is off the charts, and I can speak to this one with authority. I came out of the police academy in 1993 yep. under David Dinkins, right? And, and crime was bad, but it wasn't this bad. The criminals weren't as bold. Yeah, by the numbers, there was more actual crime because of years of, of losing uh, bodies in the NYPD due to fiscal problems and having to rebuild and, and liberal policies. But because of the woke culture, the BLM riots, the Antifa riots, Dave, what I'm seeing, right, what I'm analyzing through the lens of experience and what I'm getting from the men and women still on the job, and Carol, I know, speaks to them as well, you know, uh, via the Post, the uh, the boldness of the criminal is much different. Even under mm -hmm. Dinkins, when crime was bad. The cops would roll up. We'd roll up in a marked car. They'd still run. Now they spit at you. They give you the finger. They make simulated uh, uh, gestures like they're going to shoot you. I've never seen boldness in criminals like this because they were emboldened starting in 2008 by the Obama administration. And they still are by Democrats running these cities. And that's what's super dangerous. That's what really puts the life of that single mom on the bus stop going to her second job in danger. New Yorkers see that, and that directly relates to your wallet and commerce, and that's why they're they're leaving the state en masse. Yeah, the other thing I, I just want to quickly ahead, add to that is that not only are the criminals emboldened, but under Dinkins, there was not a mass denial by the elites that this that's was right. going on. You know, I think like living in Park Slope and seeing people in $4 million brownstones put defund police signs in their windows, that wouldn't have happened in the Dinkins era. Everybody understood that crime was high and we should do something about it. Now it's like, what are you talking about? What crime is high? No crime. is Everything's fine. You know, isn't that a little racist to say? And I think that's what makes it so impossible possible to fix. To give you a little more context on that 1.58%, it's about 320,000 people. And most likely those are 320,000 people with jobs who are productive members of society and good parts of their community and everything else. That That's the crazy part of this. Uh, Dave, do you think, uh, I think we've discussed this a little bit and you write about this fairly often, like how bad do you think it has to get in New York? L let's say he does not win. Like, what does New York City end up looking like in a year from now? Oh, in a year from now? Um, I or two know. years from now or 10 years from now. I mean, yeah, if, yeah, if they yeah. don't start I, the turnaround well, now. If, eventually, it's going to be a kind of Thunderdome situation because um, <laughs> I am, I, look, I mean, I, I. it's very easy to say that this kind of thing is cyclical. 
um, and that every time there's a, a an action and a reaction and uh, and 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 it goes kind of on and on forever. Well, that's fine, but each time um, there is, you know, e each time there's there's kind of less grease on the wheel, so that it becomes harder and harder to correct, and 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 the correction is never, um, you know, is is never really complete. So, you know, I mean, what I always think is that could a Rudy Giuliani show up next year or in five years or in 10 years and, and just fix New York? Well, there could be a Rudy Giuliani on the, uh, on the horizon to do that. But I think the voters who would, would elect someone like that um, are vanishing. A lot of those mm -hmm. people uh, who elected Rudy, for example, and, and Bloomberg, you know, they're here in Florida. Um, or there, or there elsewhere. They they took advantage of uh, of of, uh, of of high um, high rents and property prices, and they said, you know what, we're we're out. And um, you know, so so what you have is you've got an erosion of the middle class in in um, in the same way that you've got really in San Francisco. And just look to San Francisco to see what 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 the deal is. You know, every once in a while, it gets to be even too much for for. The, the, the crazy people of San Francisco who have completely uh, uh, gotten rid of their middle class. Look, uh, just, the, but, just this morning, I saw yeah. right before we started that somebody well, broke into Nancy Pelosi's house and assaulted her husband. I mean, it's, it's literally coming to Nancy's door. Also to your point, you know, Giuliani didn't appear out of nowhere. I think he was attorney general. He was going after the mafia for 20 years, meaning that there were people in the system that were being trained to succeed in New York. John, is there anyone even left in New York that, that could be that type of person? Yeah, yeah. So Rudy was the U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York. And like yeah, you say, he you. was the guy who busted up the mob. He was synonymous with being the guy whose office took out John Gotti. So he was already a larger than life character. He lost the first yeah. time he ran in 89 yeah. to Dinkins. Then it was a landslide. And, and Carol, I'm so glad you brought that up. I, people forget that. So he ran in 89, lost. People were like, man, buyer's remorse. But he was a larger than life guy. He, he was like a local hometown hero, national hero. Dave's right. The people that voted for Rudy are gone. You know, you know, Dave Rubin, you grew up in Long Island, right? Carol's from the city. When I drove through Queens, where I grew up during the Giuliani administration, it still looked like Queens. I drove through Queens about a year and a half, two years ago, and it looked like Sanaa, Yemen, yeah. parts of Queens. There were the signs in Arabic, no signs in English. So Dave's 100 percent right. The people that would vote for the next Rudy are gone. The population has declined. I don't see the city coming back. I think New York City could very well look like Baltimore sooner rather than later because there really is nobody on the bench, Dave. And not to get too into the weeds. When Rudy was elected, we also had a Republican Party infrastructure in New York State. Yeah. It's a miracle to me how well Zeldin is doing, because when George Pataki left, he took that infrastructure with him. A bunch of billionaires, his buddies, they were all older guys. They left and it fell in on itself. It never really properly rebuilt for grassroots efforts, door knocking, et cetera. So there's a lot of reasons why, infrastructure reasons, before you even get to the candidate, why it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, for a Giuliani, a Bloomberg-like guy on crime anyway, to win again as New York City mayor. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, look, hopefully Zeldin starts the process and then either maybe a couple people come back or some people that are there get braver or something like that. But the fact that New York is just on the table and being discussed right, right. now is amazing. Uh, another state that there's some interesting stuff happening is Michigan and Gretchen Whitmer was was maybe the worst. When, you know, I, Could I compare anyone to Newsom? I'm not sure. But I mean, she was not only locking kids out of school and four 
forced uh, vaccines and everything else. She literally was telling people not to do gardening in their yards during COVID. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this, but I actually, there was a day I went to Home Depot, we, we did it on video and I bought a whole bunch of seeds and I just sent them to people in Michigan just so that they could plant tomatoes. Uh, here's Tudor Dixon, who's the Republican, who I didn't know much about until the last two weeks, uh, going after Whitmer for failing on COVID. The governor is being dishonest once again, but that's what you do when you don't have policies to run on, when you killed more seniors than almost any other state, when you were told to stop the policy, but you kept it going, when you could, had such extreme unemployment fraud that you lost eight and a half billion dollars worth of taxpayer money. She crushed our economy. 3,000 businesses, 3,000 restaurants died under Gretchen Whitmer and never came back. Carol, before we get to the issue on this one, well, what's the deal with shoulder pads? Uh, you know I like the Golden Girls, but those shoulder pads, lady, it's like, I hear you. I like what you're laying out there, but a little too angular for me. Right. It, it sends a message of who's in charge. I just don't think that we need to have that message all the time, you know? Putting um, that aside, though, what she was saying. Yeah, no, I, I, like, it's just, it's crazy to me that Whitmer straight up lied that she only yeah. closed schools for three months and that the media obviously lets her get away with it. Uh, I would love to see Michigan. I would love to see her, her lose. Uh, Whitmer has just been a disaster the whole time. Um, and I think it, it was just the trifecta of her, Andrew Cuomo, and Gavin Newsom that really kind of almost bullied the other states to follow. Mm -hmm. it, was, it, was, it was like, this is the Democrat position. We're the A-team, and this is what we're going to be doing. And I, I think she's been so wrong for so long. Uh, I would love to see Michigan toss her. Yeah. Dave, are you amazed that they can do it? Like the lying never seems to surprise me at this point, but for her to get up there, Whitmer, and say this three month thing, which they were literally in lockdowns even into this year, certain schools yeah. in Michigan. So it's, an, it's a bold faced lie. Nobody, you know, Nobody called her out on it except the other candidate, meaning the, the moderators didn't, but it never stopped, right? It just doesn't stop and we have to kind of accept that. Yeah, I agree. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's completely insane. I mean, she's, she's been one of the, as, as he correctly pointed out, she's been one of the more contemptible of the, uh, of the blue state governors. Um, at, you know, say what you will about, about, uh, about New York and, uh, and California. Um, I mean, those are those are kind of you know two big coastal states with uh, with with huge population centers. I mean, um, Michigan should be a kind of relatively level-headed place, uh, but um, but uh, it's just been terrible. And then you, and then you add to it the, um, the the weird kidnapping, you know, so-called kidnapping, yeah. fednapping plot <laughs> that yeah. uh, that was kind of at the at the at the center of this. Um, which which Julie Kelly has been uh, really remarkably dogged, um, and and has has been on this um, been on this story from day one. I mean, just the the kind of weirdness of the federal uh, of the FBI involvement in, uh, in in that one. Yeah, I mean, I think she's one of those these people who's got no redeeming qualities, and um, I would love to see Tudor Dixon um, uh, defeat Whitmer. John, what do we do with the people who did all of this? To us, what, what do we, you know, when, when Whitmer gets taken out, whatever, whenever it is, whether she loses this election or she gets another term, but these people that did all this and lied about it, do we just let them off scot-free and just go on or, or do, does there need to be some kind of retribution? Oh, we need to crush him. So full disclosure, Tudor Dixon is a very close personal friend of mine for many years. I was actually uh, one of the people who helped her select her campaign team for this. And I only wow. say that 
I only say that, yeah, and, and she was about to hire the wrong people. And I said, call this person. And, it, and it's worked out, as you see. I just I know Tudor well and I knew who she'd mesh with. I also knew she was real. And the reason I knew she was real is about two years ago, two and a half years ago, she called me. We speak pretty regularly. She said, hey, I've got this crazy idea. You're going to think I'm nuts. I said, watch. She said, I want to run for governor of Michigan. Whitmer's destroying my kids' lives. She's destroying my family's business. She grew up in a steel foundry business. Her dad recently passed. Wonderful guy of, uh, of cancer. He built this very successful company. She said, I'm watching everything my family worked for, everything my family built, everything our friends and our families built being destroyed by this woman I want to run. I said, I don't think it's crazy at all. This is exactly why people should run. So everything Tudor's saying, and, and I, I gave you the full disclosure, I'm not saying this because she's a friend of mine and I adore her, I want to see her win. Everything she's saying is from the heart because mm -hmm. she lived it, her family lived it, they suffered financially, economically from a business perspective. Because of that, we need to crush these people. We need to crush these people. Fauci should be under criminal investigation. Whitmer should be under criminal investigation. Every Democrat who took your money, locked you down, ruined your child's education, they should be the ones being perp walked out of their homes at gunpoint, being crushed financially by the criminal legal bills. This cannot go unchecked. This cannot go unanswered. Yeah, it's funny because I'm usually not a retribution guy, but at some level, it's like if we don't, they yeah. will do it again. We just know, Carol, as you said earlier, it's like if if uh, Hochul wins, it's like the signal to her is, hey, let's roll, let's do it again on top of all of her shady business dealings and who they were giving government contracts out to and everything else. So let's move over to the, to the other debate that obviously was the big one sort of on social media and everything is Pennsylvania, Dr. Oz. Everyone knows basically what you're getting with Dr. Oz. He's I think probably a former liberal who's like a waking up conservative, strikes me as a decent enough guy. Like you can't say he's some crazy far right maniac. And then you've got John Fetterman who, yes, he had a stroke six months ago, but the guy is really having trouble speaking or communicating in any way whatsoever. The debate was an absolute disaster. Uh, here's Oz taking it to Fetterman on crime. I'm running for the US Senate because Washington keeps getting it wrong with extreme positions. I wanna bring civility, balance, all the things that you wanna see, because you've been telling it to me on the campaign trail. And by doing that, we can bring us together in a way that has not been done of late. Democrats, Republicans talking to each other. John Fetterman takes everything to an extreme, and those extreme positions hurt us all. Let's take crime as an example, because it's been such a big problem. Maureen Faulkner accompanied me today to the studio. You know that her husband was a police officer in Philadelphia, was brutally murdered. John Fetterman, during this crime wave, has been trying to get as many murderers convicted and sentenced to life in prison out of jail as possible, including people who are similar to the man who murdered her husband. He does it without the, with the rest of the parole board agreeing. He's doing it without the families on board. These radical positions extend beyond crime to wanting to legalize all drugs, to open the border, uh, to, to raising our taxes. I want Washington to be civil again. You need it to be less radical. John Fetterman, unfortunately, okay. would bring that. I'm curious what you guys think of my diagnosis of Dr. Oz. I think he's really gonna grow into this and be an excellent politician. It seems to me that he's been mugged by reality, which is what happens to all liberals, and now he's, he's learning on the fly. I don't know that he would have been this forward on some of these things. Dave, what do you think about that? Um, look, I mean, I, I don't know. I kind of remain skeptical of Oz. Uh, for uh, a, you know a, a number of reasons, there is the there is the uh, the, the, the Turkey uh, AKP thing, which is kind of weird. 
um, the fact that he is he is literally a dual citizen is uh, isn't um, you know of, of the U.S. and Turkey is I'm not thrilled about that. That said, I agree he's really coming into his own um, in the last uh, in the last really in the last month or a couple of weeks, especially as a contrast with Fetterman because Fetterman is I mean it's it's undeniable at this point that the the guy has has um, you know if he was coherent and uh, and together ever um, he is not so right now mm-hmm. and uh, and that debate really kind of showed it and it's and uh, and you see it with with the the folks who are um, who are kind of regretting their vote I think there's you know a popular Google search in in Pennsylvania is how can I get my early vote back uh, because they people saw the debate and they said oh my god I cannot vote for this guy this guy is is just is just not mentally well. And by the way, there was a massive push by the Democrats to get the early vote out, knowing that they could do it before the debate, because this is exactly what they expected. Carol, as a as a media creature, um, what do you think the reaction should have been to Fetterman? Because obviously everybody was clipping the stuff, and okay, he can't speak, fine. But then there were an awful lot of people running cover for him. What would what would have been a fair assessment of his performance? So it's funny because I know that the liberal media is obviously covering for him and helping the Democrats and all that, but they have done so much harm to Democrats in Pennsylvania. If you think about it, they must have known before the primary what bad shape he was in. The the stroke Mm -hmm. happened for the primary. Democrats could have gone with Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania, but there was a massive cover-up of how bad that stroke was. And if that's how he is right now, imagine how he was in the few days following the stroke. So people knew and didn't do anything about it. If I were a Democrat in Pennsylvania, I'd be really pissed off right now that you left me with this candidate who is clearly not up for the job and I could have had somebody else. Um, I agree with you though, that I think Oz is growing into the, the kind of the ideology. Um, but I do think, you know, ultimately he is still a moderate, but look, that's Pennsylvania. What are you going to do? Fetterman is far, far left. I, I've followed this guy's career for a long time because first time I saw him on TV, I was like, uh, this is a danger. He's extremely far left. And at the time he was very plain spoken. And I thought he could really appeal to a lot of people. Um, so I, I think that anybody but Fetterman is good for Pennsylvania and Oz is better than I expected. John, it seems like uh, Philly has a lot of the same problems that New York City has, right? I mean, every day on Twitter, you can see these crazy videos, block after block, drugs, complete, you know, crime and homelessness. I mean, stuff that, that literally looks like third world country stuff is happening on the streets of Philly right now. And yet people seem to think Fetterman might be okay, even though he wants to release more criminals. Well, you know, it's who thinks that. Real quick answer to your question. I I agree with you on Oz evolving. Right now, I put him on the Romney-Rubio scale, with Romney being on the left, Rubio on the right. He's about 70-some-odd percent toward Rubio. That's how I see Oz right now. But things can change. Hopefully, he'll prove me wrong and be somewhere between Rubio and Mike Lee. But, uh, you know, that said, look, Philly, you can point to one problem in the city of Philadelphia. Two words, one guy, Larry Krasner, the DA. He was George Soros's first experiment with backing a far left radical DA that didn't want to prosecute crime. I believe Republicans in Pennsylvania in the legislature, though, and not that it's really going to go anywhere, but Republicans uh, yesterday, the day before, introduced articles of impeachment for Larry Krasner, finally, the Philadelphia district attorney. And it's very simple, Dave. If a district attorney refuses to prosecute violent crimes, the police can't justify overtime in arresting the violent criminals. Mm-hmm. Be- comes pointless, right? 
Because what happens is the far left city council goes and they and they stack the deck and they'll say to the, to the police, wow, you spent all these millions in overtime and you got no convictions. You guys really screwed up. The DA's office will say, well, they didn't bring us good enough cases, knowing full well that's a lie, knowing full well that the cops couldn't bring cases because they wouldn't prosecute them. You know who suffers? You know who suffers? We don't suffer. Wealthy whites on the main line don't suffer. Inner city blacks and Hispanics suffer from these leftist policies. I worked in a 99% non-white command in the NYPD. My perps were people of color, but my mm-hmm. victims were people of color. Mm-hmm. That's who's suffering. You've got four to 6% of the neighborhood. That's the criminal element. You know, 94 to 96% that are the working poor, the working lower middle class. That's who the Democrats are torturing with these policies. So Philadelphia needs to wake up and vote itself out of this problem by getting rid of people like Krasner, the mayor, Jim Kenney. They've got these radical leftists doing this to them, but they keep voting for them. So until they stop doing that, it's not going to change. Yeah. And by the way, I don't know if you saw it, but Krasner gave a press conference, I think it was about a week ago, and basically said, if you criticize us on our crime, it's because you're racist, which is what they do in every big city nonstop. It's just crazy. I got one more thing for you guys. Real Clear Politics has put up their predictions, and they're usually ballpark pretty good. And this is, I mean, this is super interesting. They're now saying that uh, come about a week and a half from today, the Senate is basically going to be 53 Republicans, 47 Democrats. So of course the the interesting ones there, they have Oz winning Pennsylvania. They have Adam Laxalt uh, flipping Nevada, which would be interesting. Blake Masters flipping Arizona, Herschel Walker flipping Georgia. They've got Rubio winning here in Florida, Ron Johnson, Wisconsin, J.D. Vance in Ohio. So that's that seems strikes me as pretty bullish, but it doesn't seem that impossible. Dave, what do you think? I don't think it seems that impossible at all. Um, how did it? Um, what did it have for Masters? I'm sorry, I couldn't. Yeah, it had it had Blake winning. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, look, I, this is the direction it's heading in. Uh, every single day, you see worse news for Democrats, and and not just in Florida where Democrats are getting completely blown out, but uh, but in other places as well. And it really makes sense. Um, aside from the kind of structural advantages that Republicans have of, you know, it's, it's an off-year election where the um, where the party out of power always, always, always gains some, mm-hmm. um, it's a particularly rough environment for Democrats. So, um, and, and they really have nothing. And you can see, I mean, the, the, the evidence of all of this is that the only thing they want to talk about is abortion. Which is the thing that will motivate their most fanatical uh, single white um, uh, female voters. Well, uh, Dave, I got to tell you, they're also, it's not just abortion because they're also bringing COVID back, right? Biden, just in the last two days, it's another emergency, even though he said it was over. Shot, right? Right. And uh, we got that. And of course, suddenly, uh, Carol, they're talking about election fraud. Now we're allowed to talk about it because. They think it's not gonna go well in two weeks. Hillary put out this crazy video about the right-wing conspiracy coming for the election. Uh, You can, MSNBC almost every day, it's all about voter suppression, even though in Georgia, they're having record number of people voting. So you can see what they're doing, right? So the record number in Georgia is obviously only proving that there's yeah. suppression, Dave, obviously. <laughs> um, you know, what's really interesting to me about this election is that I think often um, going into an election, you know, especially when things are close, uh, Democrats have this like, we're going to win everything kind of attitude, whereas Republicans always have a we're going to lose everything attitude. <laughs> and like, you'll have like, you know, a completely red seat in Texas, and they'll send me emails like, Nancy Pelosi is coming for my seat. And like, 
like that's always the Republican like kind of stance. Like we're going to lose, everything's going to be terrible. And now for like the first time, I see this like you know, hope on the Republican side, which I hope is not misplaced. I, I actually am fully, I think uh, the RCP guess is where I am, or prediction is where I am. Um, I think that all of those are probably going to end up uh, there. I, 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 my only kind of exception to that maybe is that I think Herschel Walker is going to get into a runoff. I don't know that he wins it outright on Tuesday. That's my only change from that. Yeah. John, are, are you as bullish as this map? Yeah, I really am, because remember, it's the RCP, the Real Clear Politics average, right? So they average in a bunch of polls, many of which are about a plus six Dem oversample. So I think the fact that it shows Republicans up by three means mathematically any way that we could possibly do better, do better. And I'm in agreement with Carol. Herschel Walker is the only one right now who concerns me. But but again, it's an average of polls. So I think we're in really good shape. And by the way, for the record, yesterday they caught that hot mic moment with Chuck Schumer talking to Joe Biden, and he said that Georgia was the one that they can't believe that's slipping away. So yeah. we might we might yep. just be yep. there. Well, my Florida friends, it was next nice to see you see as always. Other. What's next that? Time, next time we see each other, democracy will have been completely destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> we can only hope. Our democracy. <laughs> All right. It was great seeing you guys. Uh, we will do this over drinks in the not too distant future, I'm sure. And I'm just going to finish up for a couple of minutes, but have a good weekend, guys. Thanks, Thanks Dave. so much. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. We, we are almost there, right? Don't lose your nerve at this point and don't get too overconfident, even here in Florida, like, okay, fine, DeSantis is gonna win, we understand that. But it's like, let's get this win to 12 points, 14 points, something bananas, with the idea in mind that he only won by 30,000 votes last time. Like all the trends should go in the right way. And it's not so that we can then stifle dissent and censor people and all of those things. It's so that we can just restore an America that, as I keep saying, we, we've gotten so close, right to the precipice, right to the end of the road, right to the ledge, the edge where we were about to go off the cliff. And then maybe because of this midterm election, enough of us turn away from it. And Florida continues to lead the country to a, to a place of freedom, but New York turns away and Michigan turns away. Cali ain't gonna turn away right now. Actually, there was another gubernatorial debate. It was Gavin Newsom versus whoever the Republican is. I'm not, I'm not even sure, but nothing about it was talked about or viral or anything because California has made its decision. But there is a way to turn most of America around and I think it's happening right now. Uh, let's get to a couple of locals comments and then uh, guess what we're having for lunch today, guys? I didn't tell you. Chick-fil-A. Daphne, she made it happen. She made it happen. She looked at me and I knew she had that thing in her eye, which just said Chick-fil-A. Uh, Amy says, major red winds in Florida up and down the ballot. Yeah, Florida, I think across the board, uh, Rubio obviously is gonna, is gonna win his seat. DeSantis is gonna crush it. By the way, I will be broadcasting live on election night from uh, DeSantis campaign headquarters. So hopefully we'll get the governor and a couple other people. We'll have a couple uh, surprises in store. I can't say anything else about that at the moment, but but yeah, there's good things happening in Florida. You guys you guys get that. Sinny uh, says, we take the House by a lot, but lose the Senate. Sorry to say, that's, that's interesting because I would wonder, uh, we'll look in the comments, but I wonder what you're thinking, Sinny, on this because, okay, so I could see, as Carol said, Georgia's gonna be kind of close, like Warnock might 
pull it out? Do you think that Blake is gonna lose in Arizona? Like, wh- which are the ones? Uh, because 53 to 47, that seems just about right, but we all live in our own little bubbles and maybe we're missing something. And, and the Blake one, Masters is in a very tough race in Arizona, so, so we shall see. And, and look, even Pennsylvania, by any sane estimation, Oz should win, but anything is possible. And because of that early voting, that pe- all these people, the Democrats pushed people to vote before the debate because they knew how bad it was gonna be. Tony says Republicans take the House and the Senate, DeSantis by 10 at least, and many leftist tears. Yeah, by 10 at least, wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? Uh, guys, as always, uh, subscribe if you have not on YouTube and Rumble. Uh, this was, I think, our biggest week ever across platforms, and it's or, we're in the midst of our biggest month. Things are good here. I'm glad that you guys are watching and sharing and paying attention and that the things that we're doing are relevant and we're gonna save this country. Now let's eat some Chick-fil-A. All right, see you on Monday. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast. And don't forget, you can watch my direct messages live on Blaze TV and YouTube every weekday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern. And of course, if you want to connect with me personally and get early access to my sit-down interviews, join rubinreport.locals.com.